Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday, March 21st. As the week gets underway, investors are moving back into the commodity sector. Grains higher across the board to start the week. We're seeing the energy market also considerably higher. Crude oil back up above 100 bucks. West Texas Intermediate trading at 108.69 right now. We're seeing metals rally as well as the soft. So those global investors looking for a place where returns might be, again, are turning their focus to commodities. We'll be talking about the market impact of all the current uncertainty going on in the world throughout the week. But before we get into all of that, we did get another bit of uncertainty added to the global supply chain industry yesterday. Canadian Pacific, one of the largest railroads in Canada, has announced a strike. To talk about what this could mean for those of us here in the United States, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, joins me today. Mike, was this strike a shock to folks watching the situation in Canada? Well, the, the, there has been pretty intense negotiations for a considerable period of time, and so we knew that there was some a real friction point between Canadian Pacific and uh, the particular union, the Teamsters Canada Rail Conference, and they, they represent a number of engineers, conductors, and yard workers within the Canadian Pacific Network. We knew that there was some, some saber-rattling from both sides, but then it was clearly unwelcome news when, when the actual lockout occurred uh, yesterday, and then the union responded by doing, issuing a, having a strike vote. So, so operations have been shut down within Canada, you know, that's an important distinction that the, in the United States, there's a separate union. So this is operations within Canada. But why this is so concerning is there's a lot of traffic that goes from the United States into Canada and from Canada into the United States. So those deliver, deliveries will be impacted. And obviously, that's a, a, a clearly unwelcome news for those of us, you know, in the agricultural sector. Yeah, and just the frustration with how this is going to work logistically, Mike, if CP trains are continuing to run in the U.S., are they basically just running to the border and then unloading and having to ship stuff on trucks, or are things on hold right now while they wait for the strike to be resolved? Yeah, you, you, until you have that certainty that once you reach the border, you can cross the border, you're not going to send things to the border until you until you have some greater you know, predictability and certainty that it will be able to get to its destination, whether it's originating from the from Canada into the United States or from the United States into Canada. What what is particularly acute during this time of the year is Canada is such a significant potash uh, producer, and therefore the Canadian railroads are significant potash transporters from Canada into the United States. The Canadian Pacific serves 175 grain elevators in the United States, and many of those are receiving things like fertilizer inputs like potash. And um, you know, last time I checked, fertilizer, fertilizer shipments, fertilizer deliveries is really concerning right now. And so this adds some insult to injury to an already challenging uh, dilemma. It is challenging indeed, Mike. I understand that both parties are now being uh, federally mediated up there in Canada. Do we have an idea as to how long this strike could last for? Well, it really is uncertain at this moment. Uh, clearly, there needs to be a lot of pressure on both parties. Um, it's never a good day to have this kind of stoppage for a key component of your supply chain. When you have it against the backdrop of already an overly subscribed, under stress supply chain, um, it's, it's clearly even worse for, for something like this to happen right now so we're we're very hopeful that um there'll be a quick resolution to this and uh and the, the operations uh within the canadian pacific network will resume very quickly 
Well, fingers crossed. Nutrient Canada said earlier they may need to reduce potash production at its mines in Saskatchewan if this shutdown lasts longer than a few days. Mike, these labor struggles have been popping up really across all industries uh, as the COVID uh, virus has come to an end. As you look out in the world of supply chains, are there other labor labor issues that are percolating that we should be aware of? Yeah, we're we're seeing we've seen uh, a bit of that within the the BNSF railway network, and now that 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 has subsided a bit as of late. Um, but there's certainly there's a number of this within the the rail network. The one that's particularly on our radar screen is on the west coast of the United States. The the dock workers uh, represented by the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Union, uh, their contract is up in in July. And usually when their contract is up, there is a bit of a, even under optimal times, there's often a, a work slowdown to try to help elevate their negotiating posture with the, with the, the steamship lines, um, the ocean vessel companies. And so that, if that happens under kind of more normal conditions, we're worried that this could happen during this time of supply chain stress. And that would be very unwelcome. These are the workers who, who uh, service the container vessels that come in and out of the United States West Coast, which is our clearly our biggest launching point our, onto the international marketplace and the biggest gateway into the United States. Yeah, that would be very noticed if they did decide to go on strike. Mike, your your uh, your passion really is soy transportation. As we've seen that Brazilian soy crop shrink, we've seen exporters come back to the United States. As you look out here over the next few months, how does the U.S. supply chain look for getting the soy out to those buyers in the global market? We, we continue to have some real challenges, particularly on the labor front. You know, you, you, we've got a lot of these transportation companies and industries that you have to have workers that service them. That remains a concern. But with this additional demand for U.S. agricultural products, which, you know, we're very open to servicing and, uh, and accommodating, there's been some increased uh, pressure on transportation costs, and things like barge rates and trucking rates and obviously fuel costs. Are a major contributor to that as well. So, um, demand is a good thing, and we're wanting to to accommodate that. But you have to be able to transport it, and there's some certainly some headwinds in that in that front. Mike, ordinarily, it seems like this time of year, as Brazilian shipments ramp up, we hear talks of labor issues down in that country. As you survey the situation down there, are we hearing as much about trucker strikes or port strikes in Brazil in 2022? Yeah, I. I I haven't heard as much of that, uh, but that certainly is always a possibility. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, some of these transportation workers, you know, they realize that when you have a supply chain that is overly subscribed, that does provide them a more of a elevated negotiating position. And some of them decide to use it and threaten things like a slowdown or, or a strike uh, in order to, you know, get some concessions out of it. So that's something that typically does happen when you have a supply chain that's that's very busy and under stress and clearly that's happening right now it is indeed mike steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition thanks for watching these issues and for bringing us up to speed thank you mike and folks stay with us when aoa returns we're going to check in with john baranek of dtn weather about just what the outlook for this week might look like stay with us here on aoa Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Now a National Ag Week message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Green member cooperatives. Agriculture is the foundation of our country, the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation, made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet and provide food for our tables. Join FS as we celebrate this week as National Agriculture Week. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. 
If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer Editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. It is March 21st, so we are officially in spring, whether we're using the meteorological spring date of March 1st or the regular spring date of March 20th. It's here, which means a lot of farmers are looking to the sky, getting ready to get those planters out into the field and start sowing this crop here across the central part of the Corn Belt. To give us an update on how it might look to do that, John Baranek of DTN Weather joins me. And John, looks like we've got a little bit of activity out in the, the world of meteorology here across the country today oh it's spring so you know it's going to be active uh it's hard to get through spring without without it doing so so yeah we've got quite a system here it's moving out of the southern rockies into the southern plains here today we're actually seeing some pretty good widespread precipitation forecasts uh for a good portion of these drought areas here in the southern plains that system will move northeast here tonight and tomorrow and uh spreading a lot of that rainfall here throughout the Corn Belt, uh, except for the Dakotas in, in western Nebraska. That, we're not going to see a whole lot out of that. But uh, elsewhere, it's, uh, it's widespread kind of one to two inch kind of variety here for the, for the week. There's uh, some areas down in the southern uh, Missouri or Mississippi Valley that probably get a little bit more than that, and they'll get some severe weather here tomorrow as well. So probably get some two to four inch amounts. But, you know, a lot of these drought areas here, if you're talking about the Southern Plains, uh, from Iowa into Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, a lot of these areas are going to pick up some pretty decent moisture here uh, this week. So it's, it's, a, it's a good time for those areas. Those that are trying to get out and, and plant or, or do some field work, it might be a little rough doing that. It might indeed. But John, as I look to, to those folks down in the Southern Plains there, that Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma panhandles, my goodness, I think they would put up with a delay in field work if it would meant some, some moisture would fall. How much do you anticipate that region to get from the system today? It looks like it might be a mix of, of rain and snow out there across parts of that geography. Yep, it's rain and snow mixed together here. So starting off as a little bit of rain kind of transitioning over to snow here uh, later today and tonight. Um, but for the most part, uh, if you're in western Kansas down into the northern Texas panhandle, um, we're looking at one to two inches of, of liquid equivalent, whether it's in the form of rain or, or 
turning over with snow there. So that's some pretty good that's some pretty good moisture. And you get a little bit to the east and west of that, it's not as great. Uh, eastern Colorado, they they picked up some good snow last week, um, and, and some pretty decent moisture out of the system uh, last week. But uh, out of this one here, it's probably around a half inch or less. But you know, I think they're going to take it. I mean, this is this is the best chance this region has had for widespread precipitation for. I don't know, quite some time, probably since uh, last spring. So uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's going to be very beneficial to the crop down there. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably the only one that uh, I'm seeing kind of at least in the next week that will uh, have that sort of impact. We might have another one next week, but, you know, the, the pattern change we're, we're looking at coming up uh, is going to favor more uh, zonal systems or ones that move through rather quickly, so ones that really don't have a whole lot of time to really build up uh, moisture off the Gulf of Mexico and just kind of dump it into eastern Colorado or into the southwestern plains there. So uh, this one might be might be the big one and might be the only one uh, for the spring season. Oof. Okay, John. Well, anytime we're talking spring weather, of course, severe weather has to be on our radar. With this system moving across the country today, tomorrow, do you anticipate severe weather outbreaks and are, are tornadoes a threat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, springtime and basically anytime you get thunderstorms in the spring, it's due to a pretty nice dynamic system moving through. So uh, you're going to find severe weather pretty much at any time. It's just a matter of where and when. Uh, today, it looks like the severe threat is both, mostly going to be over eastern Texas. Uh, it's going to start out with some, um, we've already started to see some thunderstorms developing here uh, early this morning. Uh, that's going to be mostly a hail threat through about midday. Maybe a couple of tornadoes would be possible. It's going to transition as, as we kind of conglomerate a bunch of these showers into little line segments. And as they move eastward, I think we'll, we'll transition that to more of a wind threat here this evening and overnight. But again, tornadoes will still be possible with that. Um, this is a pretty dynamic system, so tornadoes will be possible. As, it, as we go into tomorrow, that, sh that threat shifts kind of into the, the southern uh, Mississippi Valley area, uh, kind of centered around Mississippi and Louisiana. And uh, again, that's going to be a big tornado threat uh, down there, more so tomorrow than it is today. Um, strong winds and hail also going to be possible down there. So that's where the biggest threat is. As we shift kind of towards Wednesday, that moves off into the uh, uh, into Georgia, into the Carolinas. But uh, most of the upper level energy will be over the Midwest, so we kind of see a disconnect with that. So the severe threat will be a little bit less on Wednesday as it moves through. But yeah, severe storms. Anytime we get a, a system moving through, and especially a big balled up system like this one, uh, definitely plan on severe weather. John, after this moves through, you mentioned there's going to be a pattern shift. We're going to move to a more of a zonal flow. Can you give us some details? What does that look like and who could be in the path of those fast moving systems? Yeah, overall zonal just means kind of more west to east type flow. So we don't get these big giant ridges or big giant troughs. Uh, we get kind of more smaller disturbances in that west to east flow moving through. Typically, that means systems move through rather quickly. So we don't see a whole lot of uh, precipitation balling up. We don't get a whole a lot of time to, to draw that up from the, the Gulf of Mexico at all. Um, and uh, the storm track usually is a little bit further north. So I think basically uh, if you go from the northern plains through the Corn Belt uh, is where we're going to see the storm track for next week and going into the, the first half of April. On the, for, for the most part, that doesn't mean we won't get showers farther south, uh, but the, the, the storm track is going to be farther farther north a bit. Okay, John, a few weeks ago when we spoke, we were looking ahead to planting season. And and you mentioned that in a La Nina year, oftentimes we could see a delay to the warm up in the springtime. Is that still the case? Do you think we're going to be a little bit slower to get up to average spring temperatures here across the Corn Belt or the Northern Plains? Yeah, I mean, outside of the, you know, kind of daily swings we get like today, a lot of areas are going to be in the 60s and 70s today. Uh, that's just kind of an aberration. We kind of go back down towards normal here for the rest of the week. Um, and eastern areas of the Corn Belt kind of go below normal here um, this weekend. But, you know, for the first, for, for next week and for the first half of April, I think we, we kind of bounce around a little bit, but not too far above, not too far below. Second half of April is where we're kind of anticipating uh, probably colder conditions to move in. Um, and, uh, you know, colder in, in late April means kind of average for maybe early April or, or late March. So I think that's what we're kind of looking at. So kind of a holdout on some, you know, 
colder temperatures, but that doesn't mean things can't go on, uh, you know, that we wouldn't get uh, a, a day in the 70s or 80s, but then follow it by temperatures in the 40s and 50s. So, um, you know, I, th- I think we're still in line for that. And that's really for much of the country here east of the Rocky Mountains, I think, especially if you're up in the uh, in the upper Midwest and uh, in the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, even down in the southeast, I think we'll have some pretty good shots of that colder temperatures uh, in the later half of April. Okay, variability looks to remain the watchword. John, let's go to South America. That safrina corn crop is growing. Of course, we were talking about the Brazil and Argentinian drought for the past four months. Have things reversed down there in South America? Are they now getting enough moisture to bring this uh, corn crop to fruition, do you think? It's a great question. And I mean, conditions down there are kind of variable. I mean, it was really easy back in January to say, yeah, there's a heck of a lot of drought in Argentina and southern Brazil, and it's super wet in central northern Brazil. Since then, though, we've got kind of, you know, some pretty decent uh, waves of moisture across the southern half of the continent. We've had some, you know, drier periods across the northern half of the continent. So um, it's been, we've gotten kind of a lot of mixed conditions going on. That continues this week as well. Uh, we've got some isolated showers that are developing here in Argentina and southern Brazil today and tomorrow. Uh, a good system will kind of focus those a little bit here for the middle part of the week. And then that front kind of stalls out across uh, central and northern Brazil, and they get some decent showers, at least over the state of Mato Grosso, which is their highest producing state there in Brazil, um, going into next week. But, you know, showers on the whole across central Brazil have gone below normal here for till March, and that continues here for the the last half as well um you know this is the type of the the time of year where they're really trying to build soil moisture before the dry season happens which is either late april or early early may and you know if they're starting to draw subsoil moisture now they're not they might not have enough uh if if, uh, la nina holds true and and ends the uh, wet season a little early going into april so um, concerns still uh, across all the areas, even if they're getting some decent showers here recently or coming up here this week. They are not out of the woods, it sounds like, down there in South America. John Brannick of DTN Weather, we always appreciate your insight and the knowledge you bring on this topic to the show. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We will be speaking with Iowa's senior senator, Senator Charles Grassley, about everything that is happening in Washington, D.C., including a Supreme Court nomination uh, hearing happening later today. So stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as the Russian invasion and bombing of Ukraine continues, grain and soy markets have popped back up again with winter wheat leading the way. Weather in South America features isolated showers for both southern Brazil and Argentina Monday and Tuesday and a stronger front for Argentina on Thursday. But central and northern Brazil remains drier than desired for the safrina corn crop. We're also seeing some heavier rains coming into parts of the drought-stricken central and southern plains here as we get going with the beginning of this week. So that's something to watch as well. 
U.S. soybean FOB values at the Gulf softened back below Brazilian values again. That may lead to some more export sales this week. We'll have to watch. In fact, we're seeing a significant discount for immediate shipment, although freight still gives an edge to Brazilian supplies. Nonetheless, it reflects the tight South American supply situation that continues to boost export demand for both old and new crop U.S. supplies. Now, drought-stricken areas of Central Plains again received spotty soaking rains last week and could see more here this week, and that should boost winter wheat ratings into next Monday. Now, overall, sharply higher in the grain trade. May corn right now up 14 to three quarters, 756 and a half. July up 15 and a quarter, 727 to three quarters. May soybeans up 33 and a quarter, 1701 and a quarter. July up 34, 1679 and three quarters. May bean meal up 380 a ton, 480.80. May soybean oil up 205 points, 74.34. May Chicago wheat up 50 and a quarter, 11.14. May Kansas City wheat up 44 and a half at 11.15. And May Minneapolis spring wheat up 34 and three quarters at 10.95. Livestock cattle turning lower. April live cattle down 45, 140.05. June down 42, 136.65. March feeder cattle down 80, 156.20. Hogs higher with May up 210 at 109.20. Crude oil up 586 a barrel, 110.56. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Our next guest is a name a lot of you folks know. He's Senator Charles Grassley, Iowa's senior senator. Senator, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm always anxious to talk to anybody about farming. <laughs> and we will do plenty of that, Senator. Before we dive into the ag side of things, today is a big day in Washington, D.C. Senate hearings begin for a Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson. First Supreme Court hearings we've had in over a year. Senator, what do you anticipate to come out today? What are you looking forward to discussing? I'm looking forward to her uh view of the Constitution. Is she going to be a justice that will be what we call an originalist, go along with the original intent of the Constitution? Or there's a whole bunch in, in the law profession that believe in what we call a living Constitution, which means, to me, it's very flexible, interpreted almost any way you want to. And then within the laws that Congress passes, Let's say Congress, uh, the court says, well, Congress wasn't clear on this point or that point when they wrote the law. It, do they see it's their job to determine exactly what Congress intended, or are they going to throw it back to the Congress and say, uh, you need to make this law more clear? I don't. I want a judge that's going to interpret law and interpret the Constitution and not uh, and leave their own personal views out of it. And do we have any sense uh, of where the, uh, Judge Brown Jackson's going to fall on that as of yet? No, but we will after uh, Thursday when we get done questioning her and listening to people that are for her and against her. And then it's sometime next week I'll, I'll announce how I'm going to vote. But I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't make up my mind or what's the point of uh, going to the uh, committee and asking all these questions. 
Absolutely. You've got to approach this with an open mind. So we'll be watching these conversations as they play out over the next several days. But Senator, you're always anxious to talk farming. Let's jump right into it with fertilizer tariffs. You have been pushing very hard to get those reduced. How do things stand in D.C.? Does it look like we'll be able to secure a break for farmers? Well, uh, here's what we're, we're doing, and I wouldn't want to promise what we're doing will get done. But uh, there's not much law we can pass other than what we have in the farm bill to protect farmers from things that are beyond their control. And surely this rapid rise uh, in chemicals is uh, beyond farmers' control. Some of it is coming from the bad energy policies of this administration, getting diesel up to $5 a a gallon and uh, and fertilizer increasing uh, two three hundred percent. So what we can do is uh, number one, uh, wrote to the Department of Justice on whether there's any anti-competitive uh, reasons to believe that violate the antitrust laws, and then where we are importing some of our uh, fer- uh, some of our uh, fertilizers the extent to which we're importing them, and those imports might have some uh, import duties on them, uh, uh, the, the extent to which those tariffs are on. We've written to the uh, two or three government agencies that are involved in making those determinations to take those tariffs off, or in the case of anhydrous coming from uh, the Caribbean area, uh, not to put those tariffs on that, uh, that some People in the United States have asked for tariffs to be put on. Uh, one instance of uh, the, the, the phosphorus or phosphate comes from a company in the United States that has 82% of the market, and yet uh, they have tariffs protecting them from imports. Uh, there's no justification for that at this particular time. And so we're trying to get those tariffs off. And senators, do you think about those tariffs? And really, you mentioned it, the rapid rise in prices, this inflation that has gripped nearly everything in the country. It's been tough to find a consistent message on inflation out of this administration. On the Republican side, what are you and your colleagues doing to help reduce the burden of inflation and these rapidly rising prices on the consumer and, of course, senator on farmers? Well, number one is it could have gotten a lot worse if uh, Schumer had gotten all Democrats together to appropriate another four and a half trillion dollars of five or six new social programs that would have fed the fires of inflation, uh, because of 50 Republicans and two Democrats, that didn't get done. Now, that, that doesn't bring inflation down from last month's seven and nine-tenths percent, but just think uh, how much that would have made it worse if we had. The other thing is, uh, also, besides government spending contributing to inflation, we have the Federal Reserve coming in about a year late, making corrections in its program, and they did announce an increase in interest rates last uh, week. Uh, Congress has nothing to do with that. That's within their jurisdiction. But the fact that they're now waking up to the fact that inflation isn't in transition, it's, uh, it's, per- it's very persistent and persistent probably throughout this year that they finally are doing something about it. In addition to increasing interest rates, they need to reduce their balance sheet. It went from $4 trillion pre-pandemic through the pandemic getting all the way up to $9 trillion. Uh, they need to reduce that gradually as well. And they haven't Senators, you th- to do that yet. Yeah, they haven't. Uh, we'll see what happens here in coming weeks. I do want to ask, you mentioned that's outside Congress's control. That's entirely the Fed's jurisdiction. In Congress's control, of course, is, are the nominees for various positions. Last week, it was announced that Elaine Trevino has withdrawn her nomination to serve as the chief ag negotiator under the U.S. Trade Rep's office. I know that was frustrating to you. What's the next step here to getting these key people uh, nominated and confirmed into their positions in this administration? Uh, it's not frustrating to me that she withdrew. Uh, I would have voted against her. 
And it's a good thing she's out there because she was an advocate. Can you believe this? Under the law that created the Federal Reserve, uh, its responsibility is to uh, full employment and fighting inflation. And uh, she believes that the Fed also ought to be involved in telling banks not to loan money to energy companies. Now, uh, this administration has a whole history uh, with uh, XL Pipeline, with uh, not drilling in Alaska, not drilling on public lands in the lower 48, uh, putting additional uh, restrictions on fracting, and then uh, right now uh, urging banks not to loan money uh, to energy companies. Any wonder the price of gasoline is what it is? She wanted to go further in that, and that's one of the things that is good that she's not there to make the situation worse. Will there be another nominee to that post that the Senate will get a chance to take a look at soon, Senator? Or did these things take time to get the names and put up and vet and all of that stuff? We'll be working on it just as soon as the White House gets the names up here for us. But remember, they were in office eight months before these names were submitted to the Congress of the United States. So they're they're not known for working fast and filling vacancies. And Senator, you touched on the energy policy of this administration. One place I've heard a lot of frustration in agriculture is we have a lot of capacity in ethanol plants across this country. Is there the chance that we're going to see the folks in D.C. encourage more biofuel usage? Can you tell us what you're working on in the Senate and how you're getting that message out to regulators and the folks who can green light the ability to, to burn more ethanol in this country? Yeah. Uh, Ernst and I had a news conference on that about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, uh, for a bill that we introduced that would uh, do exactly that. And the reason we introduced that bill was because if people were scared because we could take in, uh, oil from Russia, would, uh, would that drive up the price further? So our bill would provide about the same amount of uh, 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 biodiesel and ethanol to fill in the vacuum for every uh, barrel of oil we don't buy from Russia. And yes, we want to push it because a lot more can be done to, uh, to use the capacity, unused capacity uh, in our uh, ethanol plants uh, to fill in a big void. And you know the price of ethanol is cheaper than the price of gasoline. Yes, indeed. Save money and get consumers driving farther. Senator, before we let you go, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, talk is, might be up for a vote this week. What do you anticipate? Well, I think it's to make sure that we've got plenty of capacity, that we're doing what we can to reduce the uh, backlog at particularly uh, Los Angeles, Long Beach, uh, but also to make sure that there's competition uh, in uh, shipping. And uh, I, I haven't made up my mind exactly how I would vote on that, but I think I'm, I'd be, end up being supportive of it. There will be a lot to learn, a lot to discuss. And Senator, even though we talk a lot about the struggles with bipartisanship, you successfully passed a bipartisan bill addressing the meth epidemic in this country here last week. So we can still get work done on a bipartisan measure in D.C., can't we? Yes, and Feinstein and I, uh, Feinstein's a Democrat from California. We work together on a lot of anti-drug legislation, and I'm very uh, thankful that she was able to uh, work with me to get that passed and now signed by the president. Goodbye. Take care, Senator. Always enjoy his insights. We'll be checking in soon, but we'll be keeping an eye on what's happening with these Judge Katanji Brown Jackson nomination hearings throughout the week. Folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We'll be talking to Jackie Fack, a policy editor at Farm Progress, about some of the other things that are happening on the regulation front in D.C. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex premium diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see 
became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, if you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. Now a National Ag Week message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Green Member Cooperatives. Agriculture is the foundation of our country, the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation, made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet and provide food for our tables. Join FS as we celebrate this week as National Agriculture Week. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Thanks for joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Our conversation continues. Of course, we just had a segment talking with Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa, discussing a lot of the things that are happening in Washington, D.C. And to help follow up on that, joining me now is Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor with Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining me this week. Always great to be with you, Mike. We were just speaking with Senator Grassley at the end of our conversation about the Ocean Shipping Reform Act and the the things being done in D.C. to encourage trade. I saw it announced this morning that Seattle is going to be the home to a pop-up trade portal, a pop-up port, so to speak. Uh, Where do you see these things going long term? Is this an initiative that uh, USDA is going to continue to support these pop-up port facilities? Yeah, so USDA is trying to be creative to help with some of these supply chain issues. Um, This is actually uh, not the first pop-up site they had. They had another one in the Port of Oakland. Um, They've also put some money into um, the Savannah, Port of Savannah in Georgia. Um, And so they're looking to really stretch some of the dollars that they're given from Congress through the Commodity Credit Corporation funds, the CCC funds. Um, And this, interestingly, is going to be paid through the Farm Service Agency, and they're going to be making some money, uh, making some payments um, of, of helping kind of offset some of those logistical costs that are facing ag exporters. And so if they're able to uh, get some of those, those ports rolling again, and we're not seeing as much backup, I mean, we have heard some crazy numbers from the dairy industry and different ag sectors on how many supply chain issues they're facing. But when it comes to the ports, I mean, they're having canceled orders and uh, just things sitting on the dock, not able to get out. And so hopefully this is just another way to keep ag exports rolling. Uh, We had record exports in 2021. And just think of what we would have been able to do possibly if we didn't have almost 20%, 25% of our orders canceled or not um, in a timely manner. And so they are being creative and how they're getting that money out there. Um, So, you know, that's one thing USDA is doing, but the dairy industry, like I mentioned, they've had a lot of issues. And so we're really hoping to see some momentum the House passed their Ocean Shipping Reform Act, and um, the Senate is likely to bring it up this week. And so if we can get both the House and the Senate to pass their own bills, then it would be able to go to conference. And and we've heard some, some great things from the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is some of the, the lead authors on the House side, Dusty Johnson from South Dakota, of, of saying, you know, there's no red lines in the sand. We want to get this across the finish line. And so if the Senate can get a bill across the finish line this week uh, and the House could conference theirs, see what the differences are, but hopefully get something that that addresses some of these issues on the ocean side to, to make sure things there are competitive and that the Federal Maritime Commission has the tools it needs to to enforce some of the rules on the books as well. This Ocean Shipping Reform Act and the measures it includes, Jackie, would these be instant changes that could be put into place very quickly, or is this a package of measures that will take time to unroll and unpack? You know, I think some of it is is really just putting some teeth into what is already there. Um, the F, you know, some people say the the FMC actually could do some of this stuff now, but this does actually help give them a little bit more. Uh, you know, I keep hearing more teeth to, to enforce what is on the books. Um, And so some of it I think could, could help now. And, and really sometimes when this type of regulatory action comes, you know, we've already started to see some action by the ocean carriers to maybe play better by the rules, just by knowing that there's more attention on them. And so I think that's part of it too. Um, And, and so I, I think, Nothing's fixed overnight, but I think this is more of a long-term foundation of creating hopefully a more level playing field for ocean carriers. You know, speaking of long-term, Jackie, it has been a long-term proposal to get folks nominated and confirmed to key positions inside the Biden administration. We spoke about that with Senator Grassley, Sarah Bloom Raskin, pulling her nomination to the Fed Board of Governors, Elaine Trevino, pulling her nomination for the U.S. Trade Rep. And of course, we still have the USDA Undersecretary for Trade unfilled. Have you heard any names floated for that role from this administration? So we've not heard any official names, but when I spoke with Secretary Vilsack uh, just a week and a half ago when he was speaking at the Commodity Classic, apparently there's been two nominees who have been brought forward for the Undersecretary for Trade position at USDA, and apparently both have been unwilling to make the financial sacrifices that have been asked 
from them to, to accept that nomination, whether that was selling a farm or their business entities. Um, this is, is something that, you know, it does take a lot sometimes to, uh, you know, he had said that they had been vetted, um, but that this administration has some additional requests of them. And, and that's why we've not seen anything official on the USDA trade undersecretary. And when it comes to Trevino's nomination, Elaine Trevino, you know, obviously she had widespread support from the ag sector. Um, she's from California. She sat on some, um, she has been part of um, some task force to speak on behalf of ag. And, you know, there was a lot of hope that she would get across the finish line. Um, she was first named in September 2021. So she was already, you know, nine months into the Biden administration before she was even nominated. And now, you know, we're several six months out from that. And she just withdrew her nomination. So now we're back to square one. Um, and, you know, really, when we go into some of these tough country by country negotiations, whether that's uh, SPS issues, whether that's tariff issues, market access, you know, we have some discussion about the Indo-Pacific economic framework that this administration is looking to, you know, we really need a boss who can carry the torch of, of ag issues. And unfortunately, we now will continue to wait and wait longer because we've got to have somebody nominated. We've got to have the vetting process and then a hearing. And none of that, the hearing had not even happened on Trevino yet. So we're really probably at several, several months out from having something confirmed. All right. More hurry up and wait in Washington, D.C. I'm sure, Jackie, you'll be watching the hearings closely for uh, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson happening this week. We appreciate you taking the time to join us here on AOA. Definitely. Always great to be with you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk to Ted McKinney about what state departments of agriculture are looking to get out of this next farm bill. Tune in on Tuesday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.